going down. We ain't playing with you. Three, six, muffin' y'all. Yeah, we get fucked up. We get fucked up. We get fucked up. And here we are, guys and gals, uh, for the continuing sober month on the Mo Mandel podcast. And I'd like to thank everyone for your nice thoughts about my very serious, uh, sober, you know, soliloquy that I did last week. And actually, it was very moving for me to be able to sort of like say some of that stuff out loud. It was actually uh, cathartic for me to be able to say it. And I liked the comments that you guys and gals made. And it seemed like it maybe uh, reaching people out there uh, who are kind of dealing with some of the same stuff sobriety-wise. And my guest this week is uh, probably what I would say is the best stand-up comedian working today that I see. Maybe he's maybe there are people who are better that I don't see often. I think that's fair to say. I'm only speaking from my experience. But he's also a guy who's uh, knee deep in sobriety. You know him as Theo Vaughn, uh, and that's also how I know him. Theo yeah, Vaughn, I'm here. Thank you for having me, bud. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks, man. This I mean, this is, is cool. The, yeah, I mean, you know, this is the kind of friend I am. You've hired me to be a part of your Comedy Central project, mm-hmm. and then addition in addition to you hiring me, I then also asked you to come and be on my podcast straight after shooting your show. It's true. Well, I wouldn't expect anything else uh, out yeah. of you, Mo. You know, Mo is... Uh, a good guy to be friends with if you like giving favors. <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's artful in his... In his uh, in if his, you're in the favor-giving <laughs> business, you need to get yourself some momentum. <laughs> no, man. I'm happy to be here, man. You know, I definitely... You know, I mean, we talk about this sometimes, but I certainly value your friendship and, you know, doing this, um, we're doing this pilot presentation or pilot kind of thing with Comedy Central and I wouldn't have anybody else out there. It's been a blast, man. Yeah. I love that we're doing this together because we met 10 years ago exactly working on another Comedy Central project. That's true, huh? Isn't that weird? Reality, Reality Bites, Bites Back. Back. Oh, Yeah. And that that's was a great the, show. If you can find it out there, some people, I still get emails every now and then and say, I love Reality Bites Back. It was so funny because that was absolutely the first TV thing I ever did. I think I'd been on Craig Ferguson or something, but I had just moved to LA. And you, through the real world and other stuff, you had been on like a lot of TV shows. Right. So you knew but how- I hadn't been on Comedy Central. You hadn't been on Comedy Central, but you had been on cable TV enough to know that nothing was going to happen. <laughs> right, it was not going to change your life at all. Right, it wasn't going to change our. It wasn't going to change our life, and we kind of became buddies on there. But I really thought it was. I had never been on TV a show. Oh before. yeah. So I remember sitting with you in the van. Uh, if anyone ever saw it, it was like this eight episode show with a lot of like Amy Schumer, Tiffany Haddish. A lot of people were stars. Oh now. my god, it's that's so true. Insane. Now that, now that Tiffany Haddish blew up, it's almost bizarre. It's crazy. They, yeah, we were all on that show together, and then Burt Kreischer. You, you know, a lot of people who are doing really well. Donnell Rollins, Kyle Cease. Uh, and I remember saying to you, like, I remember like, dude, like we're gonna be like household names. Like people are gonna fucking know us. I remember you just saying in front of the producers and everybody be like. Dude, no one is going to watch this show. <laughs> and I remember laughing just because it was so outrageous that you'd say that for the producers. Also, I thought it was ridiculous that no one watched it. And then, like, absolutely no one Nobody. watched it. I couldn't believe it. Nobody watched it. I remember doing a college, like, yeah, a month after it aired in front of 600 people. And I, I remember saying, like, did anyone hear of this show? And, like, no one and I was like, dude, if college kids aren't watching this... Then nobody. That's who watches Comedy Central. Who else could have tolerated that show but college kids? They burned it off in the summertime, I remember. Do you remember that? 
It, yeah. went, it was, but but I'll say this: we got paid more on that show than uh, per episode than on half the projects I've been on for sure. And by half, I would say all but like two. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's so scarily true, dude. That money, I, I couldn't have survived one for that money. No, man. I remember I moved down here to L.A. with ten thousand dollars in my pocket from winning this Comedy Central contest that you were in as oh, well. You beat me. I beat you. I beat Hannibal Burris. Wow. I, you know, clearly I'm a just better comedian than both of you. I could see it. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't it. see it very often, but every now. I know at that time, dude. You know, and that was all my money. And then I was like, moved down here. And uh, was I didn't have an agent, I didn't have anything, and it was like I, I would go to Subway and get like five dollar footlongs, and then I started remember like re- looking at my bank account, and be like I'm gonna like go into Subway soon and get a job application. <laughs> but I love our friendship began because me and you were probably like the two lowest on the totem pole on that yeah. show, and neither of us really were very friendly with anyone else on the show at that first week. And one of us was going to, whoever went one each episode got to pick one person who didn't have to go home. And the other ones would get voted off. And me and you both knew if we didn't get immunity or whatever, because basically it was a reality TV show. Yeah. We would get voted off. Yeah. So we made a pact. If you win, keep me on and then I'll do the same for you. Yeah. You won. You kept me on. I would absolutely got voted off. No one liked me. Did that, that first really happen? It absolutely did. You don't remember that? Uh-uh. Yeah, we made a pact. And then I got immunity on the weight loss episode one, and then I kept you on. Nice, man. And a friendship was born. And now we're both two guys in our mid-30s who are alcoholics. Yeah, that's, <laughs> wow. that's actually a perfect segue. That's so true, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah, well, you just got three years, you said. I can't believe that. Yeah, man, three years of no. But see, I had an advantage over you in a sense, or not an advantage or whatever, but I never got into Coke. Right. You really got knee deep into Coke, which goes... Yeah, thanks for offering that up. I know we were just talking about alcohol. But see, but, um, as a comedian, I felt more comfortable throw, putting it on <laughs> <sure>. to you. <laughs> no, of course you, you did. You talk about it on your podcast and stuff. So no, I no, no, I talk about it. But yeah, it led me to, yeah, like I don't have a problem with drinking. If I buy a beer, I find myself... I have found myself that I'd be likely to buy cocaine sometimes, and I just don't want to take that chance right now. Now, when I have a family or when I have a wife or something down the road, it might seem a lot more desirable to want to drink and do cocaine. Well, then you'll have someone who could help you out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. you'll have like a, a wife and a kid give you the support to be able to do cocaine, <laughs> you know, by yourself. No, you got to stay straight. No, but essentially, because like we've always been friends, but I never knew you did that kind of stuff. Yeah. And for me, I was like, I don't know, like when you think of drinking, because when I think of drinking, I talked about this last week, I know I can't do it because I am turned on by the idea of drinking into oblivion. Mm. Like the idea of drinking till I pass out is what allures me to it. Like we just had a long day shooting your show, you know, it went great. You know, it'd be a normal reaction is let's have a crack of beer on the patio and just enjoy it. That doesn't sound appealing to me. Right. What does sound appealing to me is getting like uh, just drinking like six beers and falling asleep and passing out. Yeah. So that's how you know it's unhealthy. But what is your feeling? Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's a, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. If people are, you know, some people may question or not if they, you know, are an alcoholic or have some of that in them. And I mean, that's always a question that only you can answer for yourself. You know, everybody's, you know, relationship with it is different. But, you know, like you're saying, the thing to look at 
is your relationship with it. Like, that's what it is. It's like, what's your relationship? Like, my relationship with alcohol is no problem. Like, I had a no duels four nights ago at dinner, you know? And I don't have any, I don't, you know, want, I don't even like drinking. I don't, you know, I didn't like being drunk. But if I had two beers and I saw a guy that sold cocaine, then I might be more likely to get that cocaine from him. It's like, you know, if you go over to somebody's house, are you likely to play video games? You're likely to do this? You're likely to do that? If, if you go over to alcohol, are you likely to do this or that or whatever? You know, and I know if I go over there to drink, I'm likely to maybe more likely to do cocaine. If I don't go over there, probably 0% chance. Every time I've done cocaine, my takeaway is people ruin their lives for this shit. Yeah. I just don't get it. Because you are cocaine a little bit. You think so? Oh, What does that yeah. mean? Just angry and sort of hyperactive a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Dude, cocaine makes me a little bit like you. <laughs> All right. That's fair enough. But then why would I do it? Don't I turn to something else? Like into like a butterfly or some shit? I don't know. It is, And that is unfair. Because it is very unfair. Because all I do, I remember doing cocaine a few times and it would just be like, Oh, it was great. I sat in the bathroom with four other dudes at a party and I heard all about everyone started talking about like their experiences at summer camp and we really bonded talking about like how we each had played on rope swings when we were a kid and we talked about it for like an hour and a half, two hours and then I was like, that was it. Like there was no like, you know, like you see guys in movies do coke like, and then he was fucking a ton of bitches. Yeah. He was in a dance club. <laughs> Me, no, it's just sort of like hunched over a sink like, oh, really, Dennis? My dad also had a Toyota and then we would also drive to the country. <laughs> it's, it's so fucking lame. Yeah, that's, man. That's it was my experience. And it was lame. Yeah. But I've I mean, heard some true. of your stories. You did some cool shit, at least. I had some fun times on it, man. And, you know, one thing I do miss about it is that it was a gateway to irresponsibility. It gave you then an excuse to be irresponsible, to do things that were ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, if I go outside right now and, you know, if I go on your porch and throw all your lamps out into the street or whatever, you're like, oh, what if, you know, dude, what? If, but if I do a bunch of cocaine and I'd high five you. Yeah, you're like, dude, it's like a movie. You know, it, just, it <laughs> yeah. makes things like a movie. Totally. And that's what I missed about it. I mean, that's what I liked about it. But that was the idea of it. But the, the reality was I'd buy it and then I would just be at home doing it by myself. You know, and it just was a sad... The reality was sadder. It was the fantasy that was exciting about it. The Isn't fantasy that true is, yeah. of almost every experience in life? The fantasy is actually better than the reality? Yes, except I find for, like, I think honestly being in a loving relationship, I think the, the reality of that actually feels is better than the... F I don't think you can create the fantasy. Because the fantasy of being in, like, a loving, stable relationship is, like, you're just sort of bored and you're yeah. listening to someone complain a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fantasy is actually, <laughs> it's like a nightmare. Yeah. You're like, Oh God, someone's telling me to do shit <laughs> and the fuck it's just bored. <laughs> but then you're actually in a real loving relationship where you actually love the person. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, this is wonderful. It feels good. Yeah, I know. It's true. Yeah. So I think there's something there. Like we, it's hard to fantasize about things that are like, you know, that have real feelings in them. You know, you can fantasize about things that are, you know, like being high on cocaine and partying and eating, you know, you know, pussy off of, off somebody's balcony or whatever. That's fantasy. You know, those are, but that's not a real feeling. But when it comes to like feelings, like loving somebody or having a fame, like, you know, having a real something that's intimate and real, then that's, you know, it's not something you can fantasize about as much because it's something that comes more from within. Whereas a fantasy is more in the brain. Well, that's kind of a, uh a nice segue to one thing I, I was thinking about in terms of sobriety in terms of like ways it's improved my life. And I would say for me, 
the number one thing that I've gained from sobriety is I enjoy sex a lot more. Really? Because I think sex for me when I was drunk was always about the like fantasy of it. Like I was sort of like an out of body experience a little bit. Like, you know, it's, it's sort of like you're drunk. So the world already seems kind of like you're already kind of disconnected to the world and your own feelings. I think that's what makes it so fun to drink for me. Mm But so then when I have sex, it would be like, I'd really like, I'd really like feel like I was in a porno or, or like, I'd really feel like I was like in a movie having sex, which would be arousing and fun, but sobering up and being more in tune with not just my, you know, feelings, but also like physical feelings and being able to enjoy it in just sort of multiple ways. Mm. Like, I feel like I definitely was more of like a ground and pound kind of love maker in my drinking days. Cause it was like one sort of sensation I could kind of enjoy, you know? And it was all about like just finishing, you know, orgasm. Yeah. Finish her, finish her, not even her, finish yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be okay if it was finish her. (laughs) I think in all my drinking days, I probably gave one orgasm. And now is it more like Cirque du Soleil or like, what's it like now? I haven't seen that, uh, performance art <laughs> so i can't speak to that so that one would never want to compare my girlfriend's listening and i would hate to compare my love making to an acrobatic sort of performance that lasts three hours but i feel like it's certainly a disney ice capade <laughs> no i just feel like there's somehow more like i don't know it's like the process is more it's like when you're eating a meal, right? Mm-hmm. And they give it all out to you at once because maybe the waiter fucks up and you get your appetizer and your fucking salad and your thing. And you kind of just eat it all together because you know you got to get it done now. Everything's going cold, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, imagine like y- now it's sort of like each piece of the meal kind of comes out separately so I can enjoy it mm. all. Like the making out, the sort of foreplay, you know, the the different position. I don't know. I just feel like, you know, at least to me, it's like I always say, sex with me is like attending a Cirque du Soleil performance. You know, wow. <laughs> you know, I've always said that at least yeah. within the last minute. And yeah, what you have like that forty-minute break in the middle. You got get... about a refreshment break. <laughs> you just have a cook. There's a bathroom element to it. You got to line up. You're always like, oh, the bathroom line is huge. <laughs> There's a guy eating popcorn. There's next a guy to you. in front of you. You can't really see what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> most Man, of the people that's there. Cool. Yeah, most of the people in the performance are Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know. I think it's... So you think the sex is better when you're sober. But also, do you find that... Do you think that that's because now you're in a more of a comfortable relationship? Could that be it? And it's just simultaneous? I think think that definitely helps. But I do think in general, sobriety has helped me just appreciate sex more. Mm. Like, because I don't... I think there's also like, you know, you're, you're drunk and sometimes it's like, I don't know. It's also scary. Like how many people I have sex with, like barely like, like I know I did it and everything, but the details of it are like kind of fuzzy. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's terrifying. Not oh, terrifying. Yeah. It's just kind of gross. you just, your body was on like autopilot. Oh yeah. And, and yeah. And you were a kamikaze too at the same time. Yeah. It's like, not scary. It's just sort of like, wow, I must've like left a lot of women being like, well, that sucked. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, I've disappointed so many women. I, it's uh, you know, it's almost fascinating. I think how many, how much bad sex I've had across America and even in some other countries. You ever wonder if there's like a support group of women who have had sex with you and they just sort of like, there's like a chat group and they're sort of like, yeah. Did you notice that? <laughs> oh, I've heard of some stories. I've heard stories of being like, oh, I met so and so. And, uh, yeah, we were both sharing stories about you. And I know that the stories are that I don't fuck for a long time. You know, that I'm kind of a intermittent fucker. Intermittent. I mean, you kind of 
taking breaks. No, I'll wear mittens while I oh, do it. Oh, you do it mitten, intermittent. Oh, okay, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's sort of an ancient technique. If you, <laughs> oh, dude, your father yeah. was from El Salvador or something. So that's oh, dude. That's Guatemala, a, right? It's an Iditarod pastime. Yeah. Where is the most exciting place you ever had sex? Oh, in a Victoria's Secret dressing room. Oh, really? Interesting. How the fuck did you pull that off? I don't know. I was like a freshman in college or a sophomore, and I was seeing this girl who was still in high school, which is the hottest thing you can do. There's nothing hotter than that. If you are in college. Well, you were in college, and so you were having some consensual rape. It's not rape, dude. Everyone was consensual. I might have been underage. As a sophomore college, I don't think you skipped grades. I graduated grades pretty early. <laughs> okay, interesting. I remember I completed one grade in like six months or so. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Okay, so Victoria, that is pretty. I, I had a girl, when I was a, so, a freshman in college, I couldn't get laid at UC Santa Barbara. It's the only guy who ever went there who couldn't get laid. Wow. And I had to drive nine hours up to have sex with my old ex-girlfriend from high school. You couldn't get laid at UCSB? No, that's really fucking pathetic. You didn't get laid ki- they the whole kicked- time there? No, the, my freshman year, they almost kicked me out of school because I couldn't get laid. I believe it. Yeah, the dean was like, dude, you're killing our image, bro. <laughs> you, need to go to, you need to go to like UC Irvine where this kind of attitude makes sense. <laughs> wow. Yeah, dude. So, UC Irvine seems like people don't even fuck, you know? I doubt it. They but just you, like each other's like. But you are one of these guys who's kind of like, you're like a weird kind of comic because like most comics aren't like cool or able to get laid and stuff like that. But you kind of probably always were like kind of able to get laid. I was always able to get laid, I think. You know, not when I was young, though. When I grew up, like, you know, girls did not like me at all. And then I switched high schools. And that was huge, man. Because you don't realize that you're growing up like how much stuff just builds. Your reputation builds. Yeah, and it's not even your It's just like how you, what box you fit into. Right, right, right. And when I switched to another school, I remember walking across the gym one day. And I was a, 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 a sophomore in high school. I was walking across this gym at this new school. And I saw like a hot girl like look at me. Like, watch me walk. Because you weren't the guy who, like, milk came out of his nose in second grade, and then this, and right. then this. Right, you weren't all those yeah. things. Yeah, right, and you right, weren't, right. like, the class clown. Really, yeah, I remember the time just... you cried when you, like, stubbed yes. your toe. That's yeah. all gone. I know. And suddenly, it was like, and literally, in one walk across a gymnasium, I, I, it, I didn't, like, oh, I was, ha- like, a, you know, a fancy pants or a male model or nothing, but I had an idea that, oh, wow, something can be different here. Yeah. It was crazy. And by the time I got to the other the other corner of that gym, I was like, dude, I got a fucking shot. That's kind of fascinating because, yes, yeah, so much, and like you're from a small town. It's like yeah. I'm from a small town. And so much of like how you see yourself is just based on what is expected of you, you know, like, and I didn't, I didn't realize I wasn't dumb until my brother went to college. Cause he has always been so much smarter than me and he would just cruise through his homework. Mm. And I always felt like I'm basically stupid. Right. And so I wouldn't even try. And it was once he left for college, I was like, oh, Actually, I can kind of do. I did a lot better, you know. We well, probably didn't even have a chance to know who you were a little bit. Yeah, you're kind of just sort of outshadowed or, or overshadowed, I guess would be the, the phrase. But like in terms of like uh, being cool in a new school environment, you have this great bit where you talk about like this Mexican kid who came to your school and you had no Mexican kids and like he became like the coolest kid ever. Yeah, you know, I remember a kid doing that at our school where he he came from Michigan mm. and I think he played it up like he was from Detroit or something. Like he probably was. He was, probably, he was probably from Ohio, <laughs> yeah. But he really played it up, you know. And he was he was such a fucking brilliant kid because within like a week of being there, 
he came to school with a cast and everyone went nuts. So this was like in seventh grade where like, if you had a cast, you were cool as fuck. Oh yeah. You what know? Happened? And he had a cool cast. He had fa- on his arm. He had fallen off a roof. He claimed that, uh, his mom's, he was up with working on his family's roof and somebody left a hammer and he fell off and broke his, but his, his cast, I got, it didn't look like a cast. It looked like a paper mache cast. And it was like, that's some homemade motherfucking cast shit right there, you right. know? But it was like, it, it spread around. Fucking look at this kid with the cast, you know? Everyone's signing it. It really was just like your joke where like, it, it, he became the star of the school, right? Yeah. He had a girlfriend all of a sudden. And, and and I just remember me being a little hater motherfucker that I was. be like, oh, yeah. does anyone else notice that doesn't look like a cast? Oh like, I broke my arm. I mean, I broke my leg before. Yeah, like a real cast. There was like <laughs> cotton in there. And that looks like some paper mache, you know? I really don't think it's cast. I don't think he apparently was so poor they had to like turn a pinata into a cast, right? Yeah. But then I turned out to be right because the fair happened to be in town like a week after he got the cast on and he had the girlfriend by that point, you know, mm-hmm. and there was, there was rumors that I think probably a lot of true rumors that he was making out on the Ferris wheel. Mm-hmm. But then he tried to get on the zipper and the guy, I remember stopping him saying, no, you can't get on with that cast. What does this dude do? He goes, I think it's probably healed by now. Anyway, tears off the cast and puts it in the garbage. So he can go on with his girlfriend and the fucking idiots in my school, the sheep, no one called him on it. Wow. And I was like, dude, that dude on top of everything else has real quick healing strength. Yeah. Got He's ripped like, his own cast off so he could ride a dangerous ride. This dude's like Wolverine. Yeah. And you, you, you had to call him on it. No, I knew at that time I was so low down. <laughs> that it was no, there was no victory to be had. I just sort of had to accept that you're the calling film. a cripple it, out. It, it, <laughs> no, no, it was like calling out Superman for his uh, cape being too short when I'm like a homeless guy in Metropolis. <laughs> <laughs> like I was such a fucking loser that no one would have seen it other than just you being a loser. Wow. Yeah. At least you recognize, yeah, yeah, that could have gone bad. When you go against, it's like people that cheered against Jeremy Lin in that seven week span when he was hot, you know. It was like, you can't cheer against Jeremy Lin, you know, when he was scoring set 60 points a game. Remember that Asian, the Asian gentleman? Oh, yeah. He's, I want to say Lin. I believe he's Chinese, and that's his definite guess. Is he still in the league even? He's still in the league, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was like, it was amazing. It, that was such a fun time because everyone was like, <laughs> it's kind of like what's happening with Black Panther right now. Like, people are trying to be like... Like it's a it's a good movie. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie. But everyone's like sort of trying to talk about it without bringing oh, yeah. up the racial component, right? Like, <laughs> they'd be like he's just a great basketball player. They couldn't just be like, especially for an Asian guy. You know what I mean? That was what they wanted to say, but they just couldn't say it. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, look, dude, Hollywood's so crazy. It's like, you know, it's like sometimes they're like, oh, we're so diverse. But then what was it? Like two years ago, black people were begging to get awards at the what was that? Uh, Oscar so white, and meanwhile, yes. no Asians are in anything. Yeah, or how about how about Latinos? How about what makes this entire industry run? It's interesting how yeah, that, and they don't say a word really. They don't about say it. a word. They don't say a word about it at all. And it's sort of like. I remember I sold a pilot to Fox one time and I went to this thing called like the racial summit mm-hmm. where it was like all the people who were writing for Fox shows or had projects in development and it sounds fake, but it really is. It's a real thing they do where all the people are there in the room, all the writers who are like, you know, primarily white and a delegate from all the different races get up there and say why you should make your characters Latino or Asian or black or Indian, and they literally go up there like, Asians, well, there's only this percentage of us. We have this amount of buying power, and we've been shown to respond this much to this, so you should really make your characters this, because that'll get, you know, wow. to watch show. 
and then black people get there. This is why you should watch our shows, you know? And then uh, the president and the, uh, and the vice president, the president of Fox 20th and the fo- broadcast who couldn't have looked whiter. They looked mm-hmm. like Ken and Barbie Ugh. at the time. They get up there and they're like, and really guys, when you write these characters, like don't just make like a Asian character, like really like, you know, mine who that person is. And I'm like, but no one's here is Asian. So how, what am I going to like try to like just make the challenge of writing an Asian character? <laughs> I, I'm sure that's going to be a terrible character. Yeah. What the fuck do I know about that? <laughs> well, let me try to write an Asian 55 year old woman. I know that experience yeah. through and through, you know, like I think he kind of just needs some writers uh, to do that. Well, I think also you have, but who am I kidding? I want white people to get back on top in Hollywood so I can get a job. I mean, it's like, it's not, you know, every every article that's like celebrating everyone who's not white doing something, it's like, yes, in theory, I'm 100% for that. I 100% agree with that principle, but it kind of makes you be like, no one's rooting for me right now. Yeah. At all. Oh, it's scary. And you know what I realized, like in things like that, especially like, I mean, especially being a Southern, like, or, you know, especially perceived as a Southern person, and I am from the South, but... You know, it's like, when was the last time they had a Southern person on a sitcom? Yeah. You know, 25 years? And when have they had a Southern person on a sitcom that's not like the dumb comic relief? Yeah. You know? And that's a ton of it. And then you wonder why, did you wonder why, and that's one of the reasons, man, people can say all they want about like the voting and stuff like that. One of the reasons that Trump got vo- vote, Hollywood, people were so angry at Hollywood. And once everyone in Hollywood went for somebody, all those people who feel left out, the South, it's not a ton of people. But it's probably 20 million. They're like, fuck that shit. Oh, dude, how much are they loving these sexual harassment things? They're like, ha ha, the one thing you had over us, Hollywood, was your morality. And now you don't got shit. Yeah, I think it's one of the benefits of having a guy, of having this whole Trump thing happen is that it's, it, it's making other things happen. You know, it's making things come to the surface. It's making, you know, there's such a fervor for, we're not going to accept you know, we're not going to accept just anything anymore in every, in every regard. We're not going to accept it in our, you know, we're not going to accept inequality. We're not going to accept sexual, right? We know it's making people, it seems like really wake up to what's going on, you know? So I think that, um, I think that that's, you know, I think you have to look at the positives. It's a weird thing that would be like a straight white male in Hollywood where the focus is so much not on straight white males in terms of casting and wanting development, because I a hundred percent, agree with the sentiment, you know, it it sort of actually makes you have to like stick to your, you know, it's, it has to make, it makes you really have to be like, okay, my principles are more important than my selfish desire to be part of shit. Cause I'm like a hundred percent shit is racially imbalanced. Yeah. There's no fucking doubt about it. Like half the writing's rooms I've ever been in. I look around, I'm like, all right, this is ridiculous. Or you look at the casting on shows. Why is the hero always white? Like it's fucking stupid. Right. And finally people are like, okay, this is, we got to stop doing that. But then there's a party where like, oh, when they were just giving parts to white people all the time, like it was still really hard to get a part. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> oh, I don't know how I feel about this. You know, it's so funny. Cause like in where I grew up in Boonville, there was no black people, you you know, and uh, and then one year the group home, there was like a group home in town, and it sounds like racially whatever, but it's completely just the facts. They got like these five black kids from Oakland who had like committed some crimes or whatever, and so they got put in this group home up where I live. It was about mm-hmm. three hours from Oakland, and the football team got phenomenal, and the <laughs> basketball team got phenomenal because wow. there was no black kids in the whole county really. So they, yeah. these kids were just fucking just, or they just happen to be black and great athletes. Yeah, and. Not the sports teams got way better, but there was like a little backlash 
And it wasn't even racial. It was just selfish of some of the like local guys who had played football for the high school, and now it was time for their kid to be in high school. And all of a sudden, their kid wasn't getting wasn't getting to play. Yeah. And it wasn't racist. It was just like selfish. Whereas, like the way I'm sure a lot of baseball players felt pissed when baseball integrated back in the day, because it's like, hey, I only thought I had to be this good. Right. You didn't tell me I had to be this good. Yeah. You know, it's like it's just it's just more competitive. You know. Oh yeah, and also I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, uh, with generally saying some ethnicities and some races and some cultures and people from some areas are even better at some things than oh, other people. It's ridiculous that you can't that we can't say stuff like that. Yeah, you know. And look, we're two, seems- two white guys, and I think people need us to dig into this racial topic. <laughs> if anything, this this discussion needs is two sober white guys to break down <laughs> race in America. But it's you know one thing is when I thought about for a second. And uh, when I thought about when it was like, okay, now it's tougher for white people to get opportunities and stuff like that, it made me think about what it's probably been like for... Oh, 100%. Immediately. The first thing I was like, man, this sucks. Oh, wow. This is what that probably has felt like. Yeah, because what I feel like now being like a uh, you know white dude, especially one that's not young, like mid-30s and shit, I'm like, okay, you just have to be a thousand times better than the average person to, to make it. Yeah. And it doesn't make... And I feel like I could do that. You know, you just have to have like... You have to have the best script and you have to be the best actor and you have to be the best comic and then you can make it. You're making it as a comic. Your name's blowing up a lot of like, you know, white guys are really blowing up this year. Tom Segura blew up. But the idea that you have to be so much better than the average to make it. Yeah, it's exactly what it's been like for other races. Right. You know, right. it's not fair in that some, now we in, have to be subjected to the same rules in some industries, <laughs> but in some industries it hasn't been, you know, I think, um, but in the end you want things to be, you know, you want everybody to have an equal shake, yeah. you know, and I think some of that will just take time. Like, um, and also I feel like, I feel also though you don't, you know, you don't want to weaken down entertainment or environment or us or any, any genre by just giving out accolades to quickly show equality. Absolutely. I don't know yeah, if Hollywood that helps. is like taking Hollywood's a giant definitely doing a big that. highlighter. Look what we oh look at this. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, it's definitely you know it just doesn't help. You know, but maybe it does help. I think it I think it's sort of like everything. It's like there's always like a overcompensation and then and then things kind of even out into yeah. like a more, you know. Something more realistic. Yeah. So when you're not drinking anymore, what are you doing to uh, to to even out, to to, to cope? Have mm-hmm. you found a new way? I mean, like what? Because you've been doing the AA program. You find that helpful? Yeah, I do the AA program. It's helpful for me because most of my sobriety is about uh, is emotional sobriety. You know, like I don't know if I've ever really been addicted to alcohol or cocaine. I don't know. You know, and when I say cocaine, I mean the most time. I mean, I probably did it thirty times total. Yeah. Like we're not talking like. You know, I was no, doing- I, I know you don't make enough money to have really gone done much more than that, especially <laughs> yeah. those years. I'm shocked you actually can afford that many. But it, uh, yeah, just you know, it's just about emotional how I feel on a day to day basis about myself, and that was not getting any better. And so, you know, twelve step programs help a lot of people, and you know, and they help me, and it gives me a group of people to be around fun dude and all i've always wanted a group of the craziest fucking weirdos as friends and now that's exactly what i have you know it and it's crazy i mean you're in it's just crazy i love it i like a man it's pretty fun yeah i was actually really touched last week after i put out that podcast that quite a few people 
uh, that I know in the industry, whatever, reached out to me and be like, hey, you know, I go to AA. Do you want to ever come with me? And I thought it was pretty cool, you know? Yeah. And it made me feel kind of flattered and touched that they cared enough to offer that. And also like, wow, these people really believe in this program. Like it's obviously helped them a lot, you know? Yeah, man, it's cool. I'm glad that you got that response. You know, it's weird. I'll go into a meeting sometimes and I'll sit there and like, you know, the other day I I went into a meeting and I was meeting a friend there and then there was another chair on the side of me and another guy came in and it was a meeting I'd never been to. And he sat down. I knew that guy was a friend and I just like got really, really emotional, just teared up and just, you know, because all I ever wanted to be around was you know, probably a couple of buddies that I didn't think were judging me or didn't think were thinking I was less than them or something, you know, like somewhere inside of me, I didn't realize that. But in that moment, you know, to have be overcome with emotion and just realize, and they didn't know what was going on, you know, but just to realize, man, all I ever really wanted was just, you know, to be a, in a group of probably buddies who, who I didn't think in my head or I knew in my heart weren't judging me. So interesting you say judging because that's something I feel so strongly of like when I would go to a party or any kind of social situation, having to get over that brutal self-loathing and self-consciousness. And that's why you go right to the alcohol, at least for me, to like just get over that. Yeah. And it's so weird because people like self-consciousness or, or that low self-esteem or feeling like people are judging you is not something that reads on everybody. Right. Like if someone sees you, they don't think that. They right. don't see that. Right. And so when you say that, people are like, eh, but he knows he's cool because everyone thinks you're cool. Right. But you don't know it. Yeah. You know, it's such a weird fucking thing. It's like you can't, it's like a, someone teaches you the directions to a place, but you can never find it it to that place on your own. Like, you know, you know how to get to that mm. place. You know, the direct, you know, you're not a loser, right? And, but you can't shake the feeling that you fucking are. Yeah. It's so weird. And then you see it the other way where guys have all the self-esteem in the world. And you're like, how the fuck does that guy not know he sucks? Yeah. Like why? I, I can't figure it out. Yeah. And it's crazy. And also then it's crazy how sometimes I would have just such an, uh, you know, it's like, it's like I'm an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, you know, because then you would get so used to growing up. I got so used to, you know, thinking that everybody else didn't like me that I had to like myself so much, even though I really didn't, I had to put on this air like I did. So then you create this weird ego that's not really based on a, a lot of positivity. It's just this kind of surfacey kind of thing. But you just become so obsessed with what's going on with you. But it's really just because you just want to seem okay. So it's like you're monitoring yourself to seem okay. It seems, and so it's this weird ego. And then at the same time, under it is just so much, you know, inferiority. Right. Because the more that you're not in touch with all aspects of yourself, the more like, a volcano is building beneath the yes. surface. You know, that's why drinking and drugs ultimately always crash down because not only is it just unhealthy, but you're ignoring something that is going to keep festering like a tumor of emotion. Yeah. You know, I think that's why, uh, yeah, now it's like, I don't know that I feel like people are like, well, what's the benefits of being so like, I don't know that I feel happier on a day to day basis, but I do feel more, clear about how I feel, you wow, know, that's a, that's a great way to put it. So like, if you feel like, uh, I used to just sometimes wake up like fucking angry and vindictive and I would just sort of like be like lash out at people. Now I kind of feel like I'm a little bit more aware of like, just basically cause I'm not hung over or whatever. Like that's just how you feel today. Right. 
You know, and that's not even. And if I get moving and don't lay here for five minutes, that's probably going to change a little bit. It's amazing, right? Like how much physiologically your mood can change. Mm-hmm. Like if I, I wake up, like honestly, I wake up almost every day depressed. Yes, I just wake up unhappy and sort of depressed, and I'm like, "Fuck, today's gonna be one of those days," you know. But as soon as I like put on fucking uh, Howard Stern or something like that and get in the shower, and the water kind of hits my face and. and and I'm amazed at how much happier I am five minutes later. Yeah. And yet the next day I wake up fucking depressed and thinking I'm not going to be able to get out of bed today. <laughs> it's so weird. Dude, yeah. And the program they teach us, I mean, it's just take the next right action. What is the right action I'm supposed to do right now? And after a time, it's like now I know and my brain starts to know when I wake up and I don't feel good. Sometimes I lay there for one, two, three minutes. But I don't lay, I won't, I don't go back to sleep like I used to. You know, I, I mean, I remember for two or three years, I would just go back to bed, you know, just like. And I've always had so much all. respect for you. And I've always sort of felt like your career was so naturally just going to, going to uh, go somewhere big as it is doing now. And I, and I always saw that so clearly. And so, you and you always sort of got, I did tell you that. <laughs> you, you, like most comedians cannot hear compliments. <laughs> and like. And you always sort of had like good looking girlfriends and you see like everyone always likes you. And so when you would sort of tell me over the years, uh, like, oh, I'm so depressed this week. I came I was always like, I always felt like you were almost like a candy raver of depression. Like you were like a wannabe, dep- like you weren't really depressed. Huh. And I was always like, this fucking guy is just sort of like, like I f- depression's my thing. Right. This fucking guy didn't <laughs> oh, yeah, know shit. Is. This dude's just fucking trying to step on my shit. <laughs> you know, like a little, like a fucking <laughs> white dude with a do-rag and a chain. You don't know shit about fucking the self loaded sadness. Yeah. You come over to my house. You don't fucking know shit, bro. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, I'd hear it enough, like, ah, oh, I guess he fucking really does sort of feel like that. But again, it's, like, weird with a guy like you, because I would always be like, yeah, but I've heard people say the same thing to me, you know, the guy, you don't seem like that. Or, yeah, I or, think you would have seemed, like, fr- you know, like, a little bit frustrated and, like, you know, sometimes have your, you know, your little personality, you know, things that give you also, you know, part of your personality. But it's cr- it's amazing how... You know, we can. It's amazing how we are able to hide that that sort of thing, and it's amazing how we don't recognize when other people say it. You know what's kind of could be going like, on. I, dude, you're a cool guy. You're a good person. You're yeah, like, that guy doesn't know shit. Yeah, <laughs> that guy fucking, doesn't know anything about me. I could cut that guy's he doesn't throat. Know, <laughs> doesn't know what a piece of shit. I am. <laughs> did you worry that when you got sober, you wouldn't be as funny? Because did yeah, you ever I drink on stage? That. Did you drink on stage or no? Um, a little, but not much. I used to when I was younger, but that shit gets old. Yeah. And then I had done cocaine a couple times. I've been on stage at the comedy store, like on a pack night and I could not, I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't hear it. It messed up my ears a little. I couldn't audibly understand like when people were laughing and stuff and it made it really uncomfortable. So you got sober and you're like, are you going to be a funny person? Right. And I don't, I mean, I've thought about that. I'll take breaks to do like, you know, try like some ayahuasca or mushrooms or that in the future I may choose to, you know, um, smoke marijuana and stuff like that, you know, do, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know how long it'll be for me that I'll be in this program. Hopefully my whole life I'll be in it. You know, I definitely think that it works. You're definitely an inspiration though to uh, any comic who has these fears because you've gotten like infinitely funnier I think in the last two years well I will say this there's proof behind me when I look in the past two years that that there's that there's positive tracks in the ground you know I started a podcast it's like there's just you know there's there's proof you know you and I are working together on a pilot now it's like yeah, it's just like, well, there's just things that have happened, whether they were supposed to happen now or in my life or not, I don't know. But it would be selfish of me, I think, to not 
include one of the ingredients and maybe a major ingredient in some of these small successes as a uh, AA as that ingredient. Well, think about like sometimes, you know, you, when you're trying to write or, or just any point in your life, you know, you're, you're trying to think something through and you take a, a, I take a walk and while you're on that walk, you're like, oh shit, I just figured out the solution to that joke or I just figured out the solution to that problem. Like your brain is moving all the time. And when you drink and you do drugs, your brain kind of is shackled for those hours. Yeah. And then having to recover. So, so many jokes don't get worked out as quickly and so many solutions don't get worked out. Like I notice now that like, I'll often uh, put a piece of paper next to me when I meditate in the morning Mm -hmm. because I swear to God, every time I do it, I'm meditating. I'm like, oh shit, I have to like file that uh, paper for my taxes. And like that memory escaped me until I just let my brain settle. Settle down. And then I realize it. It's amazing. Like it seems like a stupid thing, but it's like it proves that your brain is thinking all the time. And when you're sober, your brain thinks more. And that's probably why your comedy's gotten so much better this year. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain wants to, your brain wants to help you out. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things it wants to do, and, it, and it's really impressive. And yeah, we don't realize that sometimes we hamper it, especially as we get a little bit older. You know, I mean, we're in our 30s, so it's different. It's like, you know, when I was 24, whatever, you know. But um, I got to come and do my own podcast. I'll come back again, though. But I kind of feel like if you leave, I'm going to be like, I feel like really empowered and confident in my psychic journey now off that we're, relax. no, now that you're here talking to you and on my podcast, I feel like I feel confident where I'm at psychologically. I keep saying, but I think as soon as you leave, I'm going to feel empty and sad. Yeah. So just sort of hang around. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to do the podcast. <laughs> Maybe just hang around. Cause you know, it's, it's, it, once I shut this machine off. Oh, it's going to get dark in here. It's going to get real dark. I mean, it is actually getting dark outside, but yeah. I think inside the heart of my soul. Yeah. Oh, you you seem really every can time. We, I, can we FaceTime maybe later? No. Every time I read that Telltale Heart, have you ever read that? Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah. What the Always fuck? This is like the third fucking reference. I heard you make a couple Poe references earlier today, and I'm like, what's Something the Something you fuck? bring out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I Thanks, see buds. Ravens. Thanks. I see Ravens every time. Thanks, man. Well, hey, uh, plug your podcast. Theo's got one of the best podcasts around. Um, uh, Yeah, I have a fun podcast it's called This Past Weekend. You can check it out. And uh, yeah, man, I'd love to come back and, and I always enjoy talking to you, dude. And I'm just so impressed with your work ethic and all you've done. Um, 10 years of friendship. Here's to at least 10 more. I yeah, love man. you, buddy. I love you too, man. This has been, this been one of our best years too, I think. I think we've really got real close this year and I think we've been very respectful of each other. You know, we've had, uh, you know, little comic-y cat fights over the years. Yeah. But I feel like we've sort of hit like a nice zone, you know? Yeah, we're kind of growing up a little. I had a big fight with one of my best, oldest friends last night. Oh, yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, I was real angry about him. I'm still angry about it. And he wrote me a long apologetic email. And I feel like such a fucking uh, child because I know the best thing to do would be to call him. Right. But I don't want to call him. I want to like, res- I don't, I don't want to respond. Right. But yeah. I know, I, and I, but then somehow writing him an email back seems even dumber because it's like, he's going to be in town next week it's like we're gonna probably hang out but it just makes me so i got so angry and i because you know like when friends like make shit joke shit talking jokes by each other mm-hmm. but sometimes it's too real too much yeah and and you realize that's what you actually think a little bit mm-hmm. and he did that and mm. more power to him he's allowed to have his own thoughts but it definitely made me like oh well fuck i didn't realize that. yeah i wasn't ready to hear that yeah I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that from a friend, a place where I didn't. Yeah. And that's what we do for a fucking living most of the time too, probably. 
It's one thing if we say it about ourselves. Right. <laughs> if somebody else has, you're like, because you know what sucks? When you say something about yourself on stage, it's real dark. You feel like this is a secret you're sharing with the audience. But when they're like, oh, we already could see that. You're like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I didn't realize it was just dripping out of me. Like, oh, yeah. No, it's very clear. You're oozing venom. You are a pustule. <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. Hey, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, you bet, man. I want to come back soon, dude. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. All right.